Welcome back to Rob Gill's Epic Financial Strategies Podcast. If you like what you're hearing and want to learn how to take action on your financial future, click the link in our bio to speak to us directly. To learn more about how you can achieve financial freedom, subscribe to our YouTube channel and follow Rob Gill all over social media. Financial freedom awaits. Hey folks, Rob Gill here, Epic Financial Strategies in the Profit Center, Red Bank, New Jersey. And once again, we want to just continue to provide education. We always say if you have any questions, feel free to ask any questions. If there's any videos that you would like us to do, we always want to be able to do any kind of video uh, that sits and fits with exactly what you're specifically looking for to then maybe take it into a later conversation. Today, I'm here with David Harder. And uh, we're gonna get into like, you know, the secret to investing. There's no overnight success, but there's really understanding products. And I think what's important for all you folks out there, grab a pen real fast. It's important to understand the advantages and disadvantages of every single financial product that's out there today, and then figure out how you can maximize the advantages, minimize the disadvantages. And oh, by the way, if you have a nine to five, it may be hard for you to figure that out because it's important that not only is it a product mix, but we focus on first and foremost process as well as understanding products and then figure out a design that is specific to you. But with that, Dave, yep. if we could get in and go slow, uh, what is a Roth IRA, the different types and some of the pros of those Roth IRAs? Sure, thanks, Rob. Um, so IRA stands for, for Individual Retirement Account. Right. And Roth is a variation of individual retirement account created back in the 1980s by the IRS. And what it does is it sets up an account, Rob, where you can contribute after tax dollars, right? Some money that's already been federally taxed, contribute it to the account up to a limitation, invest it any way that you choose to, right? So they're completely self directed. Yep. And the growth rate on that money is tax deferred for an extended period of time. And then as long as it's been in there for the greater of five years or until you're 59 and a half years old, whichever is longer, yep. when you take distributions from it, it's income tax free. So if somebody's 30 and they do it till 40, they still can't touch it though. Is that what you're saying? Correct. The only piece that they could touch yeah. is their contribution because that was post-tax. So dollars. why don't you explain that a little bit? So sure. uh, somebody makes contributions of 5,000 years uh, 5000 for 10 years in a row. Got it. It's now worth 250000 They started at 30. Uh, they're now 41 years old. And they want to take money out. How much can they take out? Sure. So there's what's, it's called first in, first out in Roth IRA accounts or FIFO, right? Okay. So that distribution. So if I put in $100,000 during that time frame Got and it. it's grown to $250,000, uh, I have the ability to take a distribution of let's say 50,000 bucks. It's a return of my own principal up to my basis. So basically though, I just wanna make sure we're clear on this. Yep. The only money you could take out before 59 and a half is what you put in. Correct. Not even the growth. Correct. Only what you put in. Only what you put in. Okay. That's right. And That's when right. you take it out, is it an end or meaning um, if there's a hundred grand, you take out 50, is the hundred earning a rate of return or just the 50 that's in there? No, it's just the 50 that's in there because it's a return of your own money. Can you yeah. pay it back? Or... You can. Yep. Okay. You can do a 60 day rollover one time per year. What that means, Rob, is that you can take a distribution from the account 
for any particular reason, any reason whatsoever. And as long as from the date that you receive that distribution, yeah. you return it in 60 calendar days or less, Got it. then it's considered just a, a direct rollover. Got it. And when people open up a Roth, what are they typically invested in? Well, you now, you're not a, to be clear, yep. you're not giving, we're not giving investment advice. Uh, David is not a fiduciary. Uh, as a matter of fact, this is just educational. And we always say, get on the phone with your fiduciary or any other person that helps you financially and ask these kind of questions. But go ahead, David. Sure. Yeah. No, they're, they're completely self-directed. So you have the ability to buy individual stocks. You can buy individual bonds. You can buy CDs. You can even in some certain in, in certain instances buy real estate. But a lot of folks that are watching this, does, does their financial planner give them Roth IRAs? No, no, typically, uh, typically not. Or when they say buy, you know, invest in a Roth IRA, they're saying buy a mutual fund or buy an ETF or That's something. That's what I'm saying. They would, yeah. the, a planner would typically put, they would give them advice on it though, right? Yes, correct. Yeah, yeah. So yeah. I want to be clear out there. Yeah. Um, what are now what is the maximum? So if a guy's making a million dollars a year, yep. right, and he wants to shelter his money later on from a tax perspective, how much can he contribute on a yearly basis to the Roth? Now, unfortunately, that guy would not be able to make a contribution. because No, because he would be phased out, right? So there's a phase out on contribution. There's a way around that, Rob. Well, hold, hold, um, let's stick with the question. Yep. So the one of the cons of yeah. a Roth IRA is the fact that I can only contribute $6,000. Even if I make a million. Correct. Okay, and so he can... To be clear. Well, no, okay. no, because his adjusted gross income is too high for him to make a Roth contribution. The only thing that that gentleman could do in the IRA space would be to make a non-deductible traditional IRA contribution, which doesn't really make a lot of sense anyway. So, so wait, so even so, if a guy makes a million, mm -hmm. stay with us, folks, Yep. and he can't contribute to the Roth. Nope. But what you're saying is he can contribute to a traditional, but not get the write-off. Correct. Okay, so why would he do that? Um, well, I guess he would reason? the only reason I would say is that you want money to then ultimately grow tax deferred, but you're creating a, a liability for yourself in the future anyway for the future tax bomb. So I probably would not do that personally. So what you're saying yeah. is the guy that makes a million cannot contribute to a Roth, so he can't get the tax strategy. Right. However, if he did do a contribution to the traditional, he won't get the write-off. However, that contribution each year won't get taxed until he takes it out. Correct. Got it. So Correct. if he put that money in an after-tax account, it would get taxed on a yearly basis through a 1099. Correct. Because of active trading or whatever else the case may be. Now, there is a backdoor to that. Well, you're going to talk about the backdoor Roth. Yes. Right? So uh, go slow. Sure. We're make sure that everyone's grabbing a pen and paper. Follow this strategy. Make sure you understand it. Folks, this is really, really important. In 2000, I think it was 2001, the Economic Growth and Tax Relief Act. That Just check the, it. The Bush administration came out and said uh, that, you know, at now going forward, there used to be a limitation just like with contributions to Roth IRAs. There used to be a limitation on the, uh, on, on the income per household for you to be able to convert from a traditional IRA to a Roth IRA. And the Economic Growth Tax Relief Act phased that out. So now you could make a million dollars a year and you can take it in, even at that income level, you can take a traditional IRA, Rob, and you can convert it over to a Roth IRA. Okay. Now you pay the income taxes. Can you give false or give hypothetical numbers? Sure, of course. So if I have $100,000 in a traditional IRA account. Yep, and I'm 40 years old. And I'm 40 years old. Yep. I could take 
up to that $100,000. I don't have a requirement for the amount that I convert, but I can convert the entire thing or pieces of that over to a Roth IRA. So if I convert a hundred grand, I have to pay taxes on my current tax bracket but once it's in there, it's tax-free forever. Correct. Got it. Correct. Now- Do a lot of people do this? It's it's becoming a little bit more popular. You don't see it every day. Yeah. Um, be, and, and the reason that I think people avoid it is, number one, I think they're under the impression that there's a 10% distribution penalty. When you do that, there is not. Okay. That's, that's, a, that's, that's a big deal. And then number two is that they're under the impression that they make too much money to be able to convert. And the fact is they don't. So if, if, I, if I'm making a million, it's worth 100 grand that I'm 40, yep. and I want to move 100,000 into a Roth, my tax liability would be about $40,000 right. approximately, approximately, give or take. Yep. How much of that is due within that calendar year? Uh, so it's recognized in that calendar year. You used to be able to spread it over five years. Can't do that anymore. Really? Unfortunately not. No, now the okay. government wants their money. So they, they, they make <laughs> yeah. you do it right there. Yeah, yeah, they make you do it. Yeah. So, yeah. so what are some of the cons, though, on a Roth IRA? Well, number one, the income limitations. Yep. Uh, and, and excuse me, not the income, the contribution limitations, right? I mean, really, it's only $6,000 a year right now. So What about if you're over 50? It's 7000 Okay. It's an additional $1,000. That's it, huh? Yeah. And do you think yeah. it's because the government can't tax you later on? Yes, I do. Because they'll let you do a profit share and 401k yeah. plan up to $58,000 that you get a write-off today, but you get taxed on it later, but they just... They don't like the game where you could put a lot of money into it. What is it? <laughs> no, what, so true. isn't there a, a Roth 401k? There is a Roth 401k. Dude, like I'm two years old. Explain that to me. Sure. So a Roth 401k um, is your employer has to offer it, number one, yep. right? So whenever an employer adopts a 401k plan, they typically adopt it with a provider. It could be ADP. It could be a Paychex. It could be an American Funds. But the employer has to put language in the document that says that they're going to offer a Roth version of the 401k. Almost the identical twin of the traditional 401k, Rob, right? Got Where it. it's, um, but the contribution is up to 19,500. So you can put that much away? You can. So it's yep. better than, it's, what it's, am I missing? It's superior to the Roth IRA in terms of contribution rate, okay. right? Um, the, the, I think kind of the downside around that, again, is, is is it's kind of governed by the same, you know, rules and regulations that you have with 401k in terms of access to dollars Which while you're Which is the tax code. Correct. So yeah. so let's say if I put 18000 a year away yep. and I do that for 10 years and I leave that job. Yep. Does that come over to me in a form of a, uh, what does it look like? Is it a giant Roth IRA at that point? Yeah. Is it At that point, you just roll it directly into a Roth IRA. Now it's like a giant Roth IRA. That's Got right. it. Yep. Okay. Yep. Okay. And... um. And I guess once it's a giant Roth IRA, well, once it's a Roth IRA and you left that job and now you have it on your own, can you take money out of it before 59 and a half? Would it your, own, your own principal because so they, the main, yeah, they would still be tracking on that. Is, yes. is there a match on these? Do these companies match these? And some of them do. Okay. Yeah, yeah, some of them do. And do a lot of companies do these? No. So for the business owner out there though, yep. the business owner that gets to control his world or her world can they set up a Roth 401k? They absolutely can. Wow. Absolutely. Okay. Can we pivot a little bit off of off of Roth yeah. um, IRA and get into a health savings account, an HSA? Oh, sure. Yeah. And uh, let's get into where they're valuable, what the pros are, what that looks like. Yeah, absolutely. So an HSA is a health savings account. If you're a single person, you can contribute about $3,600, 3600 and change. Um, if you're married, you can contribute $7,300. That is a tax deductible contribution. So it's a little bit like a traditional IRA, Rob, or a, or a 401k. Um, monies grow tax deferred. You can invest it 
if you choose to, there's cons to that as well. But well, so go slow. Sure. Tell me. The purpose of the HSA yeah. is to be able to set money aside on a tax deferred basis yep. and ultimately withdraw it tax free in order to be able to pay for medical uh, bills, Got right? It. Especially if I have a high deductible plan at my employer, which you're seeing now, it's very, very popular. If I have a high deductible plan, I'm going to have to pay out of my own pocket up until my deductible, right? Got it. So people use HSAs as a way where they can get the tax write-off when they make the contribution, and then they distribute from the HSA to pay for their those um, those you know non-deductible related items, right? Yeah. Then when they hit their deductible, that's when the uh, the insurance kicks in. Got it. The the challenge is that you have the ability also to invest it. Got right? it. And with whatever you want. With whatever you want. Okay. I would be very cautious with that. Do people make mistakes like that? They do. They do. Because so they'll, they'll put it into like Facebook? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Understood. And if I have medical bills yeah. and Facebook trends down that got day, it. you see what I mean? Understood. So, and, and people make those. And, correct. Okay. Wow. Interesting. What are some of the challenges or cons? I think limitation on the contribution rate. You know, I mean, as a, as a household, especially if you have kids that are consistent, like my daughter had a physical today, you yeah. know, I mean, if you have kids that are consistently going to the doctor or if you have a preexisting condition, um, just the limitation on the contribution, I think is really one of the cons. Also, I would say a big con, it's more on us as well, is that I don't see a lot of advisors looping in HSA accounts when it comes to giving recommendations around asset allocation. Is there a reason why, management? I think because it's kind of like a redheaded stepchild. I think it's just people don't ask, okay. quite frankly, Got you it. know, um, because they don't want to dip their toes in the water of, of health insurance dialogue, right? Yeah. Ooh, it's scary, you know, and, uh, you know, from that standpoint, you know, I think what is really one of the things that we I'm very proud of that we do is take that wide angle approach, right? Yeah. We want to see because you know again it's all about risk to your cash flow. Yeah, right? so. yeah, awesome. And what if someone has an HSA yep. and they never need to use it for health? Well, you can take distributions; it's taxable. It almost be like a traditional IRA. Fifty nine and a half. Yeah, that's can right. you borrow? From, can you take money out before fifty nine and a half? Um, you, I would have to double check on whether or not you can do rollovers, Rob. I've Got never it. been asked that question. Okay, before, so awesome. I don't know. Dude, thank you so much, Dave, for sharing uh, the pros and cons on the HSAs. Yep. Uh, click the link below, actually. And um, if you have any questions about this, feel free to ask questions. At the same time, if you want to set, set up a time with David or one of his team members, go ahead and do it. They'll sit down and explain this in full detail. Uh, let's pivot now to charitable giving and you know what that looks like for folks with assets that are highly appreciated. Yep. Um, we know that if you're not careful, getting taxed to the next generation could be treacherous, number one. Number two, if the next generation, in fact, doesn't have the same um, ability to build the way you did, yep. what may have taken 30 years could be destroyed in one year or less if we're not careful. So when it comes to charitable giving and appreciated assets, what are some of the assets that they talk about? I know real estate is one of them. Sure. Real estate is absolutely one of them. Highly appreciated securities is is certainly another property that you have, even a business, quite yeah. honestly. You know, anything that has a, very, a, a real low basis and yeah. has appreciated longer than 12 months. Yeah. yeah. So as I understand it, let, let's I'm going to use a building for an example for this exercise right here, folks. And you might want to take notes on this one. Um, if somebody has a building that's, let's say, worth $2 million. Yep. And they have an IRA that's worth, let's say, $2 million. And this is all hypothetical. Um, but with the right estate attorney, accountant, and the right financial planner, 
and right fiduciary. Once again, you got to go seek those those guys and gals out. You have a, a have the ability to minimize some of the taxes that could take place. For example, if you were to donate a two million dollar highly appreciated building into a charitable remainder trust, yep, and that trust could be for ten years, fifteen or twenty years, period certain, on where you would get a certain amount of income each year. Yep. When you put that building into a charity, you get an income tax deduction. Yep. If, in fact, it's around the same time that you have an IRA or 401k and you have to take distributions on that IRA and 401k, yes, sir. that income tax deduction from the real estate can offset the taxable liability that's coming from the IRA or 401k. That's exactly right. Right. So, so in that scenario, Rob, that's great. I'm not paying as much in taxes, but wait a minute. What about the two million that could eventually be four million that I'm losing by putting the building into the charity? What do you say that they should do there? I would say that they ought to think about covering that by you by having life insurance in place. So break it down real simple. Because now we're talking about three assets. Yep. One real estate. Yep. One four hundred one k. Yep. IRA. And now the third life insurance. Sure. Sure. So. If you're if you're you're gonna have to take those distributions from the IRA or the 401k no matter what. Seventy two, right? Seventy two. Yep, yep, that's exactly right. Soon to be seventy five, by the way. That's another ploy by the government, but that's a whole other story. Interesting. Did not know if, that. If you're taking those distributions, you have again, you have to spend that one way or another. So one of the things that we often look at is we'll use those distributions to fund insurance policies. Yeah. Right. And the reason is, and and most most folks are like, well, why would I want that? And the reason is because if I'm donating the highly appreciated property into the charitable remainder trust, I'm giving up the control for a period of time. I'm just taking the income. Yeah. But say if, that again, real slow. Sure. So I'm taking and take notes, folks. I'm taking the building. I'm gifting it to the charitable remainder trust. Yep. And therefore I'm getting a write off. So now the trust owns it. Now the trust you owns no it. No longer own it, you can't take it back. Correct. Got Correct. It. And so I've uh, so I've donated it. <clears throat> now that offset, that write off will offset the income tax that I'm going to have to pay on my required minimum distribution, yep. right? But I use that minimum distribution to shift over to purchase a life insurance policy. You're also getting income from the charitable remainder trust for a certain amount of time, correct? Correct. That's exactly right. So the two cash flows can then fund the insurance policy. Not all of it. Not all of it. Because you want to keep some for yourself. Correct. Yeah. Right, exactly. But, but to that point now, you're using a gifted asset yep. as well as an asset that I'm being required to spend down anyhow yep. to build a third asset, which can, you know, again, perpetuate generational wealth. And you want to make sure that the third asset, the insurance has the proper death benefit to cover the value of the asset that you put into the trust. As well as the titling. Correct. Yes. Yep, that's exactly right. So, so in that scenario, through creative planning, through uh, connecting the estate attorney with the accountant, the trust officer, the fiduciary, we always recommend you get them all on the same page. Um, and the insurance agent, if I didn't mention that. By doing that, what you're doing is is eliminating a, a vicious and violent tax liability that's going to come your way in the form of a, a RMD. And at the same time, the long-term capital gains that would have been on the real estate, you're now um, shifting that away because you're going to get an income tax deduction given the, given the real estate to a charity of your choice. Last but not least, though, a wealth replacement trust, check this with the estate attorney, would be where you fund the life insurance that replaces the value of what you just gifted to charity. Guys, gals, if you're in that place when you retire, congratulations, number one. And number two, we just shared an idea that you should go double check I dot and T cross. And Dave, last but not least, yep. 
we're going to talk about folks that don't have a lot of money. People could be in there 25, 35, or 45 and just starting to save on a monthly basis. Um, And we always recommend saving 10, 15, and eventually getting to 20% of income. Can we talk about the power of life insurance in life for the family man as well as woman and entrepreneur and why that's so powerful? Absolutely. Um, Number one is because uh, with the type of insurance I think that you're referring to, Rob, you're you're not renting that insurance. Explain. Right? So most, most folks, when they look at life insurance, they think about it from a death perspective. And a lot of times they marginalize that. They want the least expensive insurance for the most amount of death benefit. And so they will typically go after term life insurance. Uh, what we're referring to is more along the lines of permanent life insurance. Um, whole life in particular is my, is my uh, insurance of choice. And that's where you're financing the insurance, right? Versus renting it because, you know, during that term, if I outlive the term, I don't get my money back. Right? How many people outlive a term? About, 98 per, about 98%. So 98% of the time, yep. a term policy, thank God, doesn't get cashed in from a death benefit perspective. However... Uh, the sad part of that is once the term is over, the folks may not be as healthy or may not be able to qualify anymore. And the importance of having a death benefit in retirement means you could spend your whole estate down in life knowing the death benefit will replace it if it's structured the right way. Correct. That's why Dave Ramsey gives bad advice, in my opinion. Yep. Um, to that point. Uh, by right? the way, we're, Dave Ramsey, um, maybe you could start talking to your people in a way where you encourage them to get more educated by getting educated, maybe they could not just be simply uh, pay off all the debt, but also start to get into some more planning that could create generational wealth and stop hating on whole life. Why do you hate on whole life? And if you hate on whole life, make sure you don't have your own whole life policy. (laughs) And to that point, Rob, it's an asset that is a non-correlated asset Explain. that you're financing, right? So most folks, when they want to, um, when when they when they're looking to build equity, they'll buy a house, right? Which for a period of time, I would make a suggestion is a bad investment, but it's an investment nonetheless. But as you're financing the house, you're building equity in it. A whole life insurance policy doesn't really operate all that differently to buying a home. You're financing an alternative asset that is not really correlated to the stock market, has you know some, some interest rate sensitivity to it, right? But it's accumulating at a rate that is not predicated on whether or not the S&P 500 does well or not. Yeah. You know, and it's building for yourself your own personal future potential. We, we refer to it almost like a pension to a degree, right? Where you're building an asset over time that's also compounding on a tax deferred basis. And while you're saving to that as the base camp strategy, you're getting interest paid to you and you can also borrow against it. Yeah. Just almost similar to a, uh, a home equity line of credit, but with less bells and whistles, uh, higher borrowing power and uh, and less money out of pocket to be able to qualify to take a loan. And not being worried about real estate going up or down exactly. once you borrow the money. So I think, I think you, you hear people talk about insurance as a Swiss army knife. Yep. And I think a, a good analogy would be it's not an end door. It's not like, hey, I have 10 grand in savings or I have money in a 401k. It's right. it's an end to end. Hey, I have uh, 20,000 of my cash value and uh, I also leveraged that and I financed my own car. Point is you became your own bank, you financed your own debt and your money is still earning a rate of return. Correct. So it's an end to end repeat model. Well, first of all, thank you so much, brother. It's Rob, yep. end time. And uh, go ahead and click the link below if you have any questions. Um, if you want us to do other videos, we'd love to do those other videos. 
And at the end of the day, if you're looking for a personal uh, sit down with David or one of the team members, they will take you through the general success process, full education, no obligation on your part. And once again, we're here to serve, contribute, and provide value on a daily basis with as much content that we possibly can. That's it for today with Rob Gill and the Epic Financial Strategies Podcast. Be sure to hop to iTunes or Spotify to subscribe and tune into all the podcasts. Also, be sure to follow the Rob Gill YouTube channel and Rob Gill social media channels. We'll see you on the next podcast.